Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. We have not one, but two races to recap this week. I, I think we'll just do our takeaways from the weekend as far as our three things, though, across the sure. board to make it easy. Make it easy. Make it easy for us. Make it easy for you, the listener. Um, a couple of races to recap in Iowa, the Hy-Vee IndyCar Weekend in Iowa, plus news on Nashville. Moving on the calendar and moving on the course. We knew the course part, but uh, very exciting news with that. And more to dive into as well in the latest and greatest in IndyCar all to come this week. But first off, hi, Justin. Hello, Mr. Hatch. Wow, fresh off a doubleheader weekend. Our only doubleheader of the calendar. And for now, for now, there's some rumors that we'll get to, but it was a Good weekend out at Iowa. I actually passed the track on Sunday coming back from Colorado. I was uh, uh, worried I was going to get into traffic, but wasn't too bad. But a good weekend, a great weekend for Joseph Newgard. Yeah, no surprise, right? We both picked him to win a race. Uh, instead of winning a race, he wins both races, sweeps the weekend. It was no trouble for him. I mean, he was locked in. I think, and we start with our three things. Obviously, Justin Newgarden is, is the first and, and most important takeaway. He has made the championship relevant again. Now, can he catch Alex Pillow down the stretch? I don't know. But at least he's given us a glimmer of hope that we could have a title fight come the end of the season. Yeah. What was it going into the weekend? 117, I believe. 116, 117. So despite Joseph Newgarden winning both races, he only gained 37 points. I still have a hard time buying into this is all of a sudden an interesting championship. It's not. Because Alex Pillow is doing what he needed to do. He didn't have a race-winning car over the weekend, but he did exactly what he needed to do and get the best result he possibly could. Don't take too many chances and finish and don't wreck. He had his worst two results since the first two races of the year. Eighth in St. Pete, eighth in Iowa race one. Third at, at, at Texas, which was... Um, one of his more worst results. I mean, he's he's finished outside the top eight zero times. So he tied his worst result and then had a podium in race two. That podium in race two made it instead of being like a 63, 64 point gap, brought it back up to 80. So, I mean, Newgarden did all he could. He led the most laps. He won both races. Um, But just there's only so much you can do and, and it's going to take an incredible tear down the stretch still to catch up. And just think, but I'm just waiting for one of these guys to blink. Right. And we haven't really had that new gardens had three finishes outside the top 10, but it's 12, 15th and 17. No one's had a truly disastrous weekend. Like Scott Dixon had in long beach where he was taken out by Pato award finished 27. Well, I think the key too is starting towards the front, especially on the road courses coming up the road and street courses is you cannot start in the midfield or back because you're going to get caught up in something. And I think that's been a, a, a key both for Alex Pillow and, and Joseph Newgarden is being able to start towards the front more often than not and avoid the chaos behind you. But all of a sudden after the weekend, we only have five races left in the season. So it's, there's not a lot of time for Joseph Newgarden or whoever wants to try to catch Alex Pillow to say, okay, well, I still have plenty of time. No, you don't. You have five races left. And the next one the chaos at Nashville, which maybe could be, we, we said that the, the weekend of Iowa was the most pivotal weekend, but now looking at the rest of the schedule, Nashville is the most pivotal weekend because of the chaos that can happen. So Joseph Newgarden has a better shot than he did this time last week, but I'm not jumping on the, Oh, all of a sudden it's a championship fight. No, no, I, I think it's at least close the gap. It's going to take, a DNF from Alex Plow for this title fight right. to even or Joseph really Newgarden wins out or something like yeah, that, which so is not going to happen. You're at least taking a look. We continue to take a look at the point standings. If this was 130 points, we wouldn't. So at the very least, they're making us glance at the championship standings. But I'm not being intrigued yet in any way. Well, and for Newgarden, I mean, he's got to improve his road and street course qualifying. He's been largely mid pack at those events, which he's is been lucky surprising. not to get caught up in anything. But that's something he's got to improve moving forward uh so but obviously the first takeaway joseph newgarden dominates this was this is his track i mean you you look at the numbers for him at this track this from chad 200 now how dominant 
he has been at uh, Iowa Speedway over the years, and this guy dominated the lap sled coming in and then going out of it. Again, same deal. Like th- This is not a surprise. This is who he is. Uh, six Iowa victory, 1,847 laps led in the last 11 Iowa races. First weekend sweep by a driver since Graham Rahal in 2017 at Detroit. And uh, it was on the broadcast. Five straight oval wins for him. Joins AJ and Al Sr. is the only three IndyCar drivers in history to do that. Um, So this is pretty elite company as far as what he's doing right now, especially on the ovals. It's been nothing short of very, very impressive. What's your first takeaway? Well, let's talk about willpower because he was impressive in qualifying, started on pole in both races, and yet he comes out of the weekend winless. And I, I there's a, a, a people love to say that, well, this guy doesn't all of a sudden didn't forget how to drive or that guy. And I'm not saying willpower is washed up, not by any means, but I will say that the willpower of three, four, five years ago wins at least one race when he starts on pole in both races at Iowa. Now, it just so happened that his teammate Joseph Newgarden was better, but in race two, his teammate Scott McLaughlin was better than him and Pato Ward and Marcus Erickson for that matter. So when we talk about Will Power this season being winless and what is it, 17 straight seasons, something like that, 16, something something like that with a win? Uh, yeah, power. yeah, I think it's like 17. I think we're seeing chinks in the armor of willpower as good of a driver as he is and still is the willpower of three, four years ago gets at least one dub and he didn't. And I think that's telling to me that says he's on the decline and Scott Dixon, it's almost like you, 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 it's sacrilege to say that willpower or Scott Dixon are on the decline, but they're getting old. We all decline with age. Uh, I'm 40, and sometimes I feel like I'm 65 years old. You're still in your 30s, and you sometimes feel like that old. Yeah. And you lose cognitive ability and being as 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 quick reacting as you are. It's not a knock on, on willpower or Scott Dixon when we say their best years are behind them, and they're declining. But I think it's realistic. I think it's it's fair to say. And I think with willpower, as good as he is, and good as he still showed over the weekend, he's not great willpower anymore. And, you know, Dixon and Power both still winless on the year. And Correct. We're getting to a point where it seems very plausible that one or even both of them don't win a race this year. Now, I would expect one of them to win a race this year. But I, I, Maybe, I have doubts that both will. Only five races left. Yeah, and, they're running out of time. And meanwhile, you're seeing younger guys. You're seeing, even look over the weekend, Joseph Newgarden perform better. Scott McLaughlin, Pato Award. You look at Marcus Erickson as well. That's the new generation, right? The the, the new crop of Let alone IndyCar the, stars. The younger guys, you know, Christian Lungar getting his first win. Um, you know, Colton Herta hasn't won a race yet this season. As well, I mean, Kirkwood. no one on McLaren's won a race, so I mean, obviously, below we were not yeah. talking about Alex Pillow, yeah. right? Pillow so, could win again. It, it's it's almost like people are afraid to say that Will Power and Scott Dixon are not as good as they used to be, but I think it's a fair assessment, and I think we saw another example of that over the weekend with Will Power that sits on the pole, looked looked dominant uh, with his pole runs. And couldn't win either race. And that doesn't happen three, four years ago. What's your number two? My number two. It's time we talk about this. I feel like we've kind of danced around it, hinted at it throughout the season. McLaren, another winless weekend. Mm -hmm. You add a third car. You have to staff up for that third car. Uh, Taylor Kyle removed from his position. Uh, He goes to Ganassi. I don't think we're talking enough about that move. I'm not saying that you know, he was end all be all as far as success and failure at McLaren, but that's a massive change when you have, you know, an executive in the team move teams in the off season. You bring in Gavin Ward, who obviously had a ton of success as new gardens engineer at, at Penske. He was to the top and kind of leading day to day operations of that team. I'm not saying he's doing a bad job. I'm just saying there's a shift in leadership and you add a third car 
which on one hand, yes, that's a third car of data, right? For all the practice sessions and qualifying and races and, you know, another person in the driver's meetings to compare things to, but also it does stretch your team. And this is a team where we thought any 500 or bust this year, championship or bust this year. And the any 500, they went bust because Rosenquist and award crashed while having very capable race winning cars. Um, Alexander Rossi finished in, in fifth. I mean, he was just kind of there. He's been consistent, but we're not seeing the top end speed from him. And then Pato Award did have a podium in race one, but said his car wasn't great. And then you really saw it on Sunday as far as his car. He finished in, in 10th and just, you know, he was kind of at a loss for words in the post-race interview uh, saying this is one of the, you know, one of the most difficult cars I've ever had to drive. So for this team, and, and Felix Rosenquist had a chance, kind of faded back, unable to navigate lap traffic like Newgarden. That's why no one can catch him at Iowa because he is dynamite in lap traffic compared right. to everyone else. But he did finish fourth, and Rossi uh, just really struggled over the course of the weekend, 15th in race two. Um, and then in race one, he was 10th. So all these changes, all this hype, we bought into it, right? We we were believers. We thought well, not, we thought they'd get one of two, you know, between the Indy 500 and the championship, and potentially both. We thought I didn't Pato think the Ward championship. Would, I said I, okay. I still say the only two. I teams thought there was the a possibility, but this team has taken a clear step back this year. Still yet to win a race. Uh, it's it's time we say this season's been a disappointment. There are five races left. Can they regroup? I, I mean, can you imagine at the start of the season if you would have told me, yeah, Ray Hall wins a race. And we're at five races left, and McLaren has not won a race this year. <laughs> I would not believe you. Um, two years ago, Pato Award won twice, finished third in the championship. He said, okay, here we go. He is going to be a consistent contender for a championship now, win multiple races. Felix Rosenquist was a non-factor, 21st overall. Then you went to 2022. Well, and he gets a bit of a pass because he, he missed two races. some time yeah, he missed with, two with races. that injury. Um, but wasn't like overly impressive. He had maybe no. two top tens that entire year. 2021, 2022, last year, two wins for Pato Award, Birmingham and Iowa too, but finishes seventh in the championship. But Felix Rosenquist finished eighth. He's feeling pretty good. Two guys in the top eight. Okay. And take a next step. This year, no wins. Pato Award is sixth in the championship, a non-factor in the championship race. And your next close, your, Alexander Rossi's 10th and Felix Rosenquist is 12th. Disappointing season. So each of the past two seasons, we felt, okay, Arrow McLaren is going to take the next step. Going into last year, we said Pato Award won twice, finished third in the championship. Here he goes. Didn't live up to that. Finished seventh in the championship last year. Did win a couple races, though. Now, they don't even have a race win. And their best is sixth in the championship in Pato Award. I've said it. I will continue to say it. There's only two teams in this series that can win a championship. That's Penske and Ganassi. Now you look at it, and people want to keep talking about the big three and big four, and that's what we do. We talk about the big four here on the podcast, but McLaren is not living up to that billing. That's for sure. Sixth, tenth, twelfth in the championship is not going to get it done, and all the talk about adding a fourth car and I don't know how much of that is internal as much as people asking about it. If I'm McLaren, I'm saying, why the hell should we add a fourth car? We can't win races with three cars. Correct. And I, I also think, like, on on the commercial side, right, they've been a massive success. But right. you got to win races. Eventually that goes away. Yes. If you're not winning races and not competing for championships. Yes. And I, I think that's where they're at. Now, obviously, if they move on from Felix Rosenquist and, and add Alex Blow, there's going to be a lot of hype there. But... Again, if I'm Alex Blow, why leave? It makes no sense to me. Well, it does because of it's money. money. It's money. That's why. I get it. It's simple. It's, 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 it's money. If you don't get... Here's the problem with Alex Blow right now is he's on the cusp of maybe getting a seat at AlphaTauri, okay, in Formula One. Let's say he doesn't get it, and then he goes to McLaren, and he regresses with that team. That's his one opportunity in Formula One. That's it. If next year he finishes fifth in the championship or sixth and doesn't win a race or wins one race, his eye on, on Formula One, the shine on him is going to be less than it is right now. That's what I don't understand. Like If you don't get to Formula One this offseason and the way McLaren is performing, 
that's probably your last best opportunity. The one thing I'll say about 2024 that I, I we haven't really talked a lot about just simply because we're locked into this season, but the the hybrid aspect of the engines, right? The hybrid units coming on board that will change the playing field a bit. You got to remember, I mean, back in the day when they had new chassis every year and you know competition between Goodyear and Firestone, True. like it was more open as far as teams that could win. But because right. of the spec nature of the series. You have one tire manufacturer. You have one chassis manufacturer. And nothing changing. Nothing changing with the car. Uh, most years, last couple of years, we've had nothing change. At least no drastic it's, changes. It's given Penske and Ganassi a, a foothold. Now with the hybrid unit coming back on, this could be a, a, a potential wrinkle and, and wild card as far as you know who adapts to that well and who doesn't. I, I agree. It could be the great equalizer, at least in the short term, for some teams, but. For for this year, McLaren has clearly underperformed, and people continue to continue to try to hype up McLaren and Pato Award and Alexander Rossi and Felix Rosenquist, and I don't think either any of those three are scary to compete for championships. And for this year, at least, they haven't won any races. They've been there at times, but haven't been able to close. Even Felix Rosenquist on Sunday hasn't happened. You got to close, right? And there's only two teams in this series that can close consistently enough to win championships. All right. Is it time for my number two? Is that where we're at? My number two. Uh, Let's talk about. uh, Well, let's 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 keep up on the disappointment train. Go to Ray Hall. (laughs) This was expected, though, right? It was expected. But at the same time, we're talking about drivers that get passes. And once again, Graham Rahal, by all indications, is driving a terrible car, crashes on, what, Saturday? Yes, the finished, first finished last. We saw Joseph Newgarden struggle in his first stint in race one. Knew exactly what to tell his team. They were able to make an adjustment. And he was unbeatable after that, both days. I, Graham Rahal, I, I understand that Rahal is not Penske, but at the same time... How many times is Ray Hall going to point to the, the the car was terrible and that's why I was terrible? As opposed to, can you give relevant feedback, enough relevant feedback to make changes, to make a bad car better? I'm not saying race winner, but a bad car be able to bring it home 13th or whatever, or 13th place car, bring it into 8th. Which you look back and it's like, he's able to do that on road and street courses. Yeah, ovals is... Surprisingly on like ovals where he's, you know, won at Fontana... Um, Texas. One well, in Texas. Did he win at Texas? Yeah, he won at Texas. Okay. In 2016, like that has not necessarily been the case. Right. Um, I mean, it, he's got two oval wins. Obviously, one uh, swept the weekend at Detroit in 2017. He won at Mid Ohio in 2015. Yeah. Uh, and then one in St. Pete in his debut back in 2008. I just feel when you look at it, is everybody wants to say RLL is lost without putting blame on the drivers when I look at. Graham Rahal is being a problem on that team. He's not as good as he used to be. I don't think he was ever as good as people wanted him to be. I mean, he's finishing like what seventh in the points. Like that was like his peak. Now, right, 2015 was the anomaly where he was a, a contender late in the season for the championship. I think he finished like fifth that year. Right, but that that was the high point. Right, and it's just declined since then. So when we look at how how RLL moves forward, and we've said it on the podcast. Linus Lundquist has to be, or excuse me, um, Christian Lungard has to be your number one driver. Yes. And, he and is he the is. top driver he, on that he team. He should be. He, I don't think he's treated like the top driver on that team. Now, some of it's nepotism, of course, with Bobby in control and and Ray Hall name in, this, in the title, but I, I think there needs to be a cultural shift there and saying Lungard has to be our guy and everybody else has to get behind it. And I, I just look at it and he just wasn't able to adjust. And I think some of that is, is, is on him. A lot of it is on him, that team. I don't think Jack Harvey is very good in the car. And I don't know if, if Graham Rahal anymore is very good in the car, quite frankly, Jack Harvey, 18th and 19th over the weekend. Never a factor. Christian Lungard, 20th in race one. He was 13th in race two, but that was their best result across the board. Uh, Rahal started sixth in race two, finished all the way back in 20th. I mean, you look at them in points, Lungard in ninth, Obviously, with that race win, he's had a, a fairly good year. Um, he's he's getting better. Uh, Graham Ray Hall in 16th, and then Jack Harvey in 23rd. 
Now, when you factor in leader circle, I mean, that's very important. Right. Now, as far as the entrant, we, we know the 11 car for Ganassi isn't eligible. So Jack Harvey is on the cut line. Uh, when you, as far as what we understand with the leader circle, they're yeah. super secret, you know, not going to reveal that. That's like, what Marshall Pruitt says. Like nobody wants, nobody can talk about it. Which is a shame because on the broadcast, this is a selling point when you have a blowout championship. And yet we we can't even dive into. I don't know the if it's supposed it. to be a secret that they give out millions of dollars to teams. I, I don't understand why the the yeah like because it's a storyline. It's absolutely it be, a storyline with five la- five races to go. It'd be a fascinating storyline to watch as the championship becomes more and more irrelevant. At least the championship race, in my opinion, is there would be some excitement watching the back markers try to finish in the top what twenty two or twenty three something like that. So, but nobody wants to talk about it apparently. For some reason, but uh, num- uh, what are we on? Your three, your third, my, my third, and you, I think you might know where I'm going to go with this. Hopefully, you don't steal mine. Uh, I probably am. Race, Race control. control. <laughs> oh, dang it! You got to find another one in. Uh, I think you can you can tie in something with mine though to to yours. So once again, bizarre weekend. It started off when Kyle Kirkwood missed the Friday weigh in. Is that what happened? I knew he failed yes. inspection. He just missed it. Yeah, he he he. Do do, no, he in? he missed the Friday weigh-in for drivers. I think that's after the practice. Oh, okay. Um, that I was thinking Benjamin in, Peterson failed yeah, inspection. Yes, that that also happened. Yes, but so he missed the weigh-in, uh, docked time in in a session. Now this has apparently gone on throughout the season, and and he he lost basically his warm-up participation time. Um, oh, he's on always Sunday. Late? Uh, yeah, apparently this has happened multiple times was the understanding. (laughs) So that was like the first thing. Then you throw in Jack Harvey getting that nine place grid penalty for what happened in Toronto, which I mean, they penalized Devlin DeFrancesco, um, previously. I mean, you go back to what happened at at Texas back in 2021 for his crash, uh, Nathan Brown saying, you know, context, his infraction came on an oval served on a street course where engine penalties are six spots. um, and he got six spots, uh, Devlin did, back during his rookie year. Jack, his came on a street course, served on an oval, gets nine spots. Okay. Like, these are fair. I, I, I felt like, I mean, the Kirkwood thing is just kind of humorous. Right. The Jack Harvey thing felt like overkill, but on a track like Iowa, does it really matter that much, right? It was for yeah. one race, not a big deal. Then you get into the, the really weird. Um, you have two cars disqualified. And this was very surprising because this has hardly ever happened in in the history of the sport going back many, many years. um, As far as a a stat goes, uh, Russ Thompson, Calhoun 98 on Twitter said, I can only find five instances of a driver being disqualified in the history of IndyCar. At least I'm confident of the numbers back to 1936. Pretty rare. Never before two in one race. We had Benjamin Peterson disqualified. um, And then... Being slow. This was on Sunday. And then Stingray Rob as well disqualified for uh, the wheel coming off and right. going on track. And we'll get to that as part of race control here in a minute. But so that was bizarre. Well, Benjamin Peterson, it was speed. Yes. Or lack thereof. He was terrible all weekend. That whole team. And that makes sense. If you're not, there's a rule. Mm-hmm. What is it? The 104 Well, they don't have that, that anymore is my they don't understanding. Have it anymore? They used to, it was like 105 or 107. They used to have that. With the close confines of Iowa. If you're if you're just out there on a joyride and you don't have any speed. If like you're you a do, second off, you're in serious trouble. Yeah, but I think he was multiple seconds yeah. off. Like he probably shouldn't have been out there. I, I don't disagree with that. I disagree with the punishment to Stingray Rob. Which had nothing to do with him and everything to do with his team. That's so, the thing. You're punishing you, him. You had the team. delays by race control as far as throwing the yellow on that incident with the tire on track and we're still green. Uh, Connor Daly narrowly narrowly avoided it. Joseph Newgarden avoided it with a little bit more space, but not much. Yeah. And he was the race leader at the time. I mean, I that would, was bad. Can we disqualify race control for not throwing the yellow quicker? Right? Because that was nuts. That was scary. You had the inconsistency on Sunday's race alone where you go yellow for Canapino, which literally felt like a competition caution. Um, yeah, and yeah, then that cleanup didn't. took forever because you got to reorder the field. You have to, and then you have the blowers to, out and everything, yeah, which I understand. Sweep the track, which is good for for competition, but it was like what a, a sixteen lap caution. Uh, it was sixteen to seventeen laps. Yeah, something around there. 
for actually no 19 laps for Canapino in turn two. Then you have Takuma Sato hit the wall. No caution, nothing. You just right. keep going, which was almost the exact same same contact same as Canapino. And then Ryan Hunter Ray uh, brushes the wall. You throw the caution. Okay, that's fine. Um, then we get into the the we went from bizarre to to weird to infuriating <laughs> with that final stretch. So they went yellow lap two forty. It was seven laps total. You you went green. You had a like a four lap shootout at the end. Okay, that's fine. But the rule that they cited was abandonment of procedures. So and and they and people numerous people cited you know before the race race control said if there's a yellow with ten or less laps to go we will not do pit stops we will we will do this rule and so people were confused and you know that came out after the race of course so we we don't get that info in real time so it does make it a little bit tricky. Um, I get that. Calling it abandonment of procedures is, as Marshall Pruitt pointed out on racer.com, maybe not the best phrase to use <laughs> to, to give yeah. fans confidence in what you're doing. But here's, here's my thing. This goes back to the Indy 500. And, and I get it. People say, well, the Indy 500 is officiated differently, and that's fine. If that's fine, well, then why don't you have a more open rule book, too, for the Indy 500? I guess is my point. If you're going to officiate it differently, you should have, you know, Teams should be able to, to try more stuff. Go back to what it used to be, right? Why are you using the same rules as far as technical, but then you're officiating the race differently? That that to me is a contradiction. I don't like it. I know a lot of people don't like it. Um, in my book, you go red, you sweep the track, you allow pit stops under yellow, and you have a couple more laps of green. I mean, yes, they finished on their green. That's always the goal, and IndyCar's made that clear. Now they're not going to go to overtime which is totally understandable. It's just like you have a green flag finish in both, but I can't understand, you know, what they're going to call. You know, you, you go back to VK hitting someone at, at yeah. Road America. Was it, was it Rosenquist? I can't remember who it was. Uh, whoever he had contact so. with. Yeah. Like that seemed like a no brainer penalty. They didn't call it. Didn't call it uh, on Sunday, you know, not knowing the context of what they send the drivers meeting. I thought, Oh, this is an obvious red flag. You sweep yeah. the track. You run a couple laps under yellow yeah. and, and allow pit stops. You reorder the field. You restart. But it's just like we don't understand like everything we think they're going to do, they don't do. And everything we think they're not going to do, they do. So it, it's just it's frustrating. I don't have as much I don't have as much problem with not throwing the red there because you still had f- four laps of green. I think that's fine. I think that's enough. Um, I do have problem with inconsistent penalties, whether you're calling them, not calling them the disqualification of stinger. Rob, the biggest problem with that whole thing was the tire just rolling around and nobody throwing a caution. Like we could be sitting here talking about a fatal accident in the sense that if they, we got lucky at Indy when they punted the tire and it didn't go into the crowd that you could have punted that tire and it did hit somebody. It could have went into a high V suite. Could you imagine? I mean, seriously, It would have devastated the event, the track, and your relationship with IV. Not to mention fans. All because they didn't throw the... Like, as soon as... This kind of goes down a, a, a rabbit hole, but as soon as a car doesn't have all four of its tires, if it releases a car with a loose tire, no lug nut on, there's an official in every pit, okay? They should radio yellow, yellow, yellow for that reason. And immediately, the yellow flag comes out. It's not, okay, pull off to the side or maybe he can make it around or whatever. The yellow is immediately thrown because more, more often than not, that tire is coming off at some point. And that's just miscommunication from IndyCar. That needs to be a prevalent thing. Say, hey, if a car leaves the pit and they don't have all four of their lugs on, then the caution is thrown for safety. Like, do you add a sensor, right? Is that, is that the way I don't way know if you need a sensor. You just need the, the official standing there with two eyes and watching the pit stop. And if the, the team panics and realizes if there's a lug nut rolling a, a, away, then you know that the tire didn't get on. Or the team needs to tell the official immediately, didn't get that tire on, immediately the yellow's thrown. Like nine seconds, that, that felt like forever. It felt like 30 seconds that that tire was wandering around. And a couple of drivers barely missed the damn thing. And luckily with the aero screen, you're not as much concerned with the driver as you are spectators where that tire is going to go. That's my bigger issue is that breakdown, the unpredictability of who's getting a penalty, who's not. Now, all of a sudden, we have this disqualification thing that they're throwing out 
and I, I, when's the last time you saw that with with a loose tire? I haven't. So uh, it's just it's just a lot. I don't have as much problem with with the red flag at the end and not throwing it. I understand why you do it in indie because it's indie. I see. I just I don't like that. You you got rid of double points. Like either make it completely separate and open up the rule book beyond. Just, no, I don't think you can do that. I, I don't think I don't think one thing means everything else. Separate rule book. I know, but I don't think one one calling it different means you have to change everything. I think it's this is the most eyes we have on the product the entire mm-hmm. season, and we need to make sure we maximize the entertainment potential. I just hope the drivers know that and understand it as far as the efficient because it didn't feel like they knew it at the Indy Five Hundred as far as the red flags and you know people upset. After all that, so I, I just I want consistency, and I, I guess consistently inconsistent is the consistency we get with race control. Uh, it is yes. what it is. What's your third? Um, I guess mine was the tire thing because I think that was very very dangerous. Um, because of what could have happened, and it's also the second time this season we've had a, a tire issue where was so dangerous that IndyCar is so lucky right. that nothing like, happened. One was, a, and, and usually the IndyCar is incredibly unlucky. For a long time, IndyCar, if it, it was, it was what was Murphy's Law. If anything could go wrong, it went wrong with IndyCar. But they've been lucky this year. One was the failure of the housing and all that stuff with the tire. It wasn't the tire tether itself, but you dodged a bullet. This one was just blatant, didn't have a lug nut on it, rolled off and could have been punted into the crowd. And IndyCar got lucky with both. They addressed the issue, the first issue at the 500, but they need to address the second one. And they need to change procedure to make sure that if any car leaves a pit without all four tires secured on with lug nuts, then the yellow is immediately thrown. And to your point, maybe it's a sensor. Maybe it's the official. Maybe it's the team immediately radioing in and saying, you know, loose lug nut or loose tire and they immediately throw the yellow. Like eventually this is going to burn IndyCar because it's not taking it seriously, apparently enough that the, 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 their solution is disqualifying the driver. That the, the problem wasn't that the tire came off. The, the, the problem was the yellow wasn't thrown forever for nine. Yeah, 10 it wasn't seconds. thrown for like 11 seconds. <laughs> it's like horrifying. Yes. And you you have to police your drivers because you say, well, you should immediately pull over. Well, the, apparently he did it in what practice and got around uh, in the in on the warm up lane and was able to come back in. I think per Marshall Pruitt, I think Marshall Pruitt wrote an article about that. But you have to throw the yellow immediately because if that tire goes into the crowd, it ruins Iowa forever. It ruins your relationship with high V forever guaranteed. It sets you back. However many years with, with, with fans, who's going to want to go to, Oh uh, my you gosh. know what I mean? I don't even, I don't even want to think like if, if this is not 1990, what was it? 1996, 97. What happened at Atlanta Charlotte? or Charlotte? Yeah. And then you go back to Indy and what was it, 89 or 87. I with mean, the tire going in the crowd. Like you can't, but I, that I can't, can't even happen imagine. in 2023. I can't that even cannot that happen. Happening. And you dodged in two incredible bullets. Credit for IndyCar for seemingly addressing and solving the first issue, but it seems like we're just glossing over what could have been a potentially devastating situation for the entire sport. All right, that wraps up our three things. Other takeaways from Iowa. Team Penske, top five for all three drivers both days. Uh, oh, hum. Of course, they want to add more short ovals. Team Penske dominates those tracks uh great news on the tv ratings front i mean it helps when you have the open championship or as people also know it as the british open uh is a lead-in both days that i get helped. that it wasn't competitive is there a lot of crossover between golf and auto racing though no but indycar's had other mega ratings uh for like really? I, I think way back i'm trying to remember the year if it was it was like a back when they called it the british open uh but was a lead-in for indycar at mid ohio I did really years good. back and IndyCar put up like a it was like a 1.5 like in mm. I don't remember the year 2008 the 2012 I mean it was I mean that's it IndyCar couldn't dream of that rating outside the Indy 500 these days but still really good ratings uh for IndyCar at Iowa 
averaged 1.121 million viewers across the doubleheader weekend. That is the total audience delivery, which includes digital, including Peacock, up 31% from a year ago, which was 853,000. Race one, 1.145 million. Most watched Iowa race since 08. Sunday's race, 1.092 million. So both races above a million. And for comparison, last year, race one, 957,000. Race two, 743,000. I mean, this is a significant jump that is some obvious positive traction. It puts puts IndyCar, from all indications, back into the positive in terms of growth. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing. Uh, up is up. Growth is growth. And it was a great weekend for IndyCar all around on track. I felt like the the event was was pretty solid for the second straight year. And ratings were were very very healthy now as far as tickets go i mean they added what was it like 50 suites uh they, they said added they had those mostly sold out uh, yeah and as far as the tickets though they they said for race one uh nathan brown of the indy star an article sold like what twenty thousand of twenty two thousand seats now did it look that full no uh but if seats are sold look that's this the, is an event. It's hard to know because people right. are coming for the concerts. Coming for the concerts. That's so what fine. was the first one? Carrie Underwood? Maybe 5,000 people came to see Carrie Underwood yeah. and then left. I don't care. That yeah. was the big debate kind of on social media as people were pointing out, well, they're not coming for the racing. Who cares? Yeah. They bought tickets. You're Who selling cares? tickets. They expanded the suite capacity. Now, did they sell more of those suites? I don't know. But right. they, they clearly saw enough demand to expand it and add that, that one inside the track that was, what, three, four stories and... Yeah, and that which, will be in Vegas for F1. Yeah, it will be in Vegas. It was their their first event with that thing was Iowa, kind of tr- testing it out. So here's my thing, is there were plenty of people that went to the races for the races, but didn't stay for any of the concerts or didn't get there early. So what's the problem with people going to the event to just see an act? Maybe the people that wanted to see Ed Sheeran showed up an hour before he was supposed to play with two thirds of the race gone. I don't care. They bought a ticket, didn't they? So what do I yeah, care? Yeah, I mean, money's money, right? Money's money, and man. As long as if the happy, happy and, and any cars yep. happy, I don't that's care. All that I don't care if twenty two thousand people buy tickets and only five people show up to watch the race. They bought tickets, didn't they? I mean, there are up to thirty thousand people in the Snake Pit. The and Indianapolis five hundred race point. morning. It's a they great point that you brought up. Because that's the thing is, should we criticize the thirty thousand people at the Snake Pit that couldn't care less that there's a, a race going on? No, because they bought tickets. The money spins the same. Absolutely. So I, I just, I find that interesting. Other notes: Colton Herta called for a repave. Yeah, I don't disagree. The average speed uh, for I think Sunday's race is from Indy forty four on Twitter one hundred thirty three point five two seven. Now, you compare that to race one for IndyCar on Saturday, uh, 143.155 for the series formerly known as Indy Lights, 144.126. So, look, I get it. The tires wear off in IndyCar compared to uh, the junior series, and they're only doing 75 laps. But, that yeah, it was a very good race. If you haven't missed it, catch catch up on Peacock. You can check it out on there. But, yes, the the track does need to repave. I, I don't disagree. But here's my pushback. There's multiple lanes to run on the track now. And this was a track that was dead to rights two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the money right now to repave the damn thing. No. Without high V. W- w- without adding like an Xfinity race. Right. W- w- without high V, let's be honest. It's high V is the crucial piece here. Without high V, there's no event there. And, and Iowa Speedway is sitting empty like Chicagoland and Kentucky and all, and et cetera, et cetera. So let's not all of a sudden buy into the fact that there's hundreds of thousands of dollars laying around to repave Iowa. Okay. It just kind of, kind of bothers me that statement. Yeah. It's read the room a little bit. Uh, Colton Erta, th- there's not much money there. They're revitalizing not only this event, but the track itself, there's not money there to repave. And I think it races fine. It's, you just need to figure out ways to be Penske. Penske's not complaining about a repave, but we go to Texas. You're talking about, well, one lane, one groove. Oh, they just repaved it, though, a couple yeah. years ago. They repaved it, and look, it has multiple grooves. Or at least IndyCar ma- makes sure it has multiple grooves and running. But I was fine. There, there are people complaining about this, and I just, I, I don't understand, like, the, the concerts, uh, the, the track, whatever. Like, I'm just happy IndyCar has a short oval race to go to in the Midwest. 
and yes. potentially adding another. In fact, let's let's get to schedule stuff before we move on in the episode. So Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com had this article come out uh, a couple days ago talking about the return to Iowa and where things stand as far as the, the future of IndyCar and, and short ovals. Obviously, Iowa, I, I think that's going to happen moving forward as long as Hyvie's on board. He said they're on board for, for next Pruitt year. Pruitt saying so. that the IMS road course race in August is going to be traded out for a return to the Milwaukee Mile. Thank God. As far as rumors go. Also, rumors suggest that Gateway which ran as a doubleheader in 2020 during the, the COVID shortened season could also return to a double feature as well next year, which is very, very interesting. Could they adopt an Iowa and try to get a couple musical acts? Maybe not four premier ones, but maybe a couple Perhaps. concerts after the races. Perhaps obviously Marshall advocating it as we have for a return to Richmond, which was going to be on that 2020 schedule pre pandemic. Uh, so that's in on the schedule news. And then the big bombshell, Nathan Brown of the Indy star reporting, you know, officially, We've heard rumors, right? But officially saying that the Music City Grand Prix uh, will be the 2024 IndyCar season finale on the streets of Nashville, yet to be unveiled course. Uh, The announcement expected August 3rd, ahead of IndyCar's visit to Nashville in the race weekend. They'll crown a champion on historic lower Broadway, according to Brown's sources. Um, This is huge. Season-ending banquet will also be in Nashville Maybe they can get it at the Grand Old Opry, right? Hey, there, I mean, that would, be, that would be be really, it. really cool. Um, or, you know, or even, you know, Ryman Auditorium, which is right off Broadway, the Opry, which is outside of town, um, outside of downtown. But either way, like, it, the potential here is great. Um, this, this expected to come through. Now, as far as what the street course will look like, expected to use uh, several blocks of Broadway Street, which is the key thing. Uh, that includes downtown Nashville, Country Music Hall of Fame, Bridgestone Arena, and of course, all the, the honky tonks and bars right. along there as well. Uh, also, Bridgestone Arena, just up the road on Broadway. Obviously, Bridgestone, Firestone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's their American headquarters. So that's a big deal. All this makes sense. I'll be curious what the track layout looks like. Brown says it's unclear where the bridge, which served as a major promotional focus, is a racing oddity, will return in this newest layout. Uh, per one of the ra- uh, TV stations in Nashville, the Korean War Memorial Bridge or Veterans Memorial Bridge will be an aspect of okay. the racetrack still, at least. And that to me is key as far as making this an entertaining track. Yes, I would concur. So, um, I, I think it's 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 great for the end of the the season for a higher profile event than in front of hardly anybody at Laguna Seca. It just hits better. And I, I think, quite frankly, when you're schmoozing corporate sponsors, if they come to an event that's vibrant, that's exciting, that has a ton of people, I'm sorry, if you're a company that's interested in investing in IndyCar and you go to Laguna Seca and watch that race, you're probably falling asleep and you're looking around to a bunch of empty uh, mounds and going, why the hell would I invest in this? No, I think that, that's... IndyCar saw it as a way to entertain sponsors because of the location, but... The events, whether it was at Sonoma or now at Laguna Seca is the season finale, just felt like there was zero buzz. At least at Fontana, you had an oval race in the LA market for a couple years. Yeah, but nobody was showing up. It was so late. You know, they kept jerking around with the date there for Fontana. That that ultimately killed that race. Um, This will be the season finale. We don't know when, obviously. I I would guess mid-September. Obviously, Nashville impacted by the Olympics next year on NBC, so that that also helped with the date change just because yeah. they're, they're limited. They can't use the same race weekend either. Now Laguna Seca on the other side then moves to March. Who knows how long it's there, but it helps fill the gap conceivably uh, between St. Pete and the rest of the schedule. So that helps fill that hole, but there will be a sizable hole next year in the middle of the season in the summer, but that'll be because of the Olympics. Nothing IndyCar is doing wrong. Well, and, and this points back to Mark Miles, what he told Indy star uh, back at mid Ohio, as Brown points out, as far as, you know, this is a way to increase the Nashville event and take it to the next level. He wasn't kidding. If, if they pull (laughs) this off, having an actual racing circuit on lower Broadway season finale, uh, victory, you know, championship banquet in Nashville, you know, perhaps at the grand old Opry. I, I don't know if that's the location. I'm just guessing is a possibility. Like this is how you reinvigorate that event and make it into a really big deal that makes, you know, NASCAR jealous, 
makes F1 jealous. Uh, F1 doing those demo laps in Nashville. Right. Coming I think up. it just helps IndyCar's profile because yes. how many people are just going to look at that Formula One car and then think that's the same series that's coming to Broadway? And it's perfectly fine. I don't care. L- Laguna Seca. So as far as that track, it moves up. So remember, they repaved. And Felix Rosenquist telling uh, local media out there that lap times improved by four seconds over a year wow. ago. So that's pretty remarkable. Impressive. So if we look at what we think the schedule will look like next year, one event in Milwaukee, one mm-hmm. event out Grand Prix two, yeah, the road course. And then there's the wild card. There is true. But then we look at this. So in and out one in each and then Laguna to March Nashville to September. And then potentially gateway is a double header. So that adds a race, a race. So you could maybe go to 18, but as we worked diligently last night to translate, there is a very interesting story that could be releasing this week. Yes, on Friday. So we're recording here Thursday morning here in the U.S. Uh, but IndyCar in Argentina in 2024. So we've talked about this before, but Junkos uh, Hollinger Racing set to make a major announcement coming up this week. And there is already an announcement that, that I saw drop that uh, Augustine Canapino is going to return to Turismo Carretera to jump in a car, uh, which is their touring car series in, in Argentina, the end of the season there. But uh, Junko says they have a, a press conference um, coming up Friday. Uh, actually, okay. So I don't know if this is connected because that's also with Turismo Carretera. So it's got to be with this. So the, the early report was leaked as far as Canapino returning, but could it be, or could that be a double bill where they're pairing with that series and IndyCar at Terminus de Rio Hondo, which is the, the track that he tested at. So the Translate article, IndyCar would run in Argentina in 2024. Expected to be finalized in the next few days. This came out, what, yesterday? Uh, so that would be, what, let's see, Wednesday. We're recording Thursday. But Terminus de Rio Hondo would be the track in Santiago del Estero. Uh, MotoGP already visits that track annually. But IndyCar has a delegation that visited there. They, they talked all about it. Now, it would be an exhibition, right? Which is frustrating. But this is back on the board. And it, again, this is translated, but half the stuff would be shipped and the other half would be flown. Is that right? Yes. It would split as far as shipping and, and flown out. But this would be the, the end of the season. Um, <laughs> the final sentence. The chance is concrete. Just the signature remains. Reach? question mark I mean, it's translated so <laughs> well here's what here's what's interesting to me the most most interesting thing for me and this will be a three-year contract now it's contingent to on the volatility of the argentinian economy yeah which has very high inflation yes and they're about to have a new or they're going to have an election in the next year or so two years about with a new president because the current president is not running for re-election so well, that could change everything because there's a lot of uh, state money going to be used for this but this is what i found interesting as for the date miles wanted it talking about mark miles wanted it to be in march perhaps opening the indycar calendar so maybe two weeks before saint pete but an impediment it was impossible to break that's moto gp's time yeah and they the promoter of the moto gp event gets the keys to the facility about two weeks prior to that event so that wasn't going to work and then argentina since march wasn't going to work then requested september or october and that's where it's going to happen as a non-points-paying race. But it sounds like there will be a sizable, quote-unquote sizable, whatever that is, monetary um, impact or monetary reward for the winner, or at least top first place, maybe third, but who knows. But there will be a significant um, income involved in winning for winning that race to kind of incentivize teams to put their best efforts forward. Which you have to do, right? If it's only going to be a, an exhibition race, you have to do that. Correct. I just hope that it's not long-term that it's a non-points paying race. Eight, First year's fine. $8.5 million US fee to bring the race. Correct. It's a significant investment, but you're looking at, look, this, this event will draw massive crowds. The track looks good from what we've seen from the, the test they did last year with Canapino in an Indy car. So, all signs are positive there. Uh, I just, I wish it wasn't an exhibition race, plain and simple. I will, I'm fine with it for one year, but if it's anything over than one year for an exhibition race, that's a problem. Yes. 
yeah, I, I, I guess I, I would agree. I, I give it a pass for one year, but it is frustrating that that is kind of where this looks to be headed. So that's a look at the, the latest on the calendar for next year. Uh, we'll get to news and notes in a bit. If you agree or disagree with us, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us new track record podcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. You'll never miss an episode or any special announcements we make. It is free to subscribe. You can also check out the store. We have t-shirts and stickers for sale there. If you want to support us, you can also support us. Patreon.com slash new track record. Thanks to Xavier, Rob and others for their support starting at just $1 a month on Patreon. And you can also email us new track record podcast at gmail.com on social media, IndyCar podcast on Twitter, or, or do we call it X now? No, it's Twitter, Twitter. Uh, also on Instagram, search for new track record on Facebook. And of course you can always download us and listen on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, what have you, wherever you listen to podcasts all for free mailbag time. And we start with rate the race. Um, I, I will do one for each. I think for Saturday, I'll go a six for Sunday. I'll go a six and a half. You know, I, I thought I would be the, uh, the pessimist in going with that, but I'm going a six and a half in both. I know people were, were entertained. It was, a, it was good racing, but, um, I just didn't rate it as high as other people. When you have a, a, a dominant yeah, runaway yeah, dominant winner, it, it's hard to give it a, a high rating. There wasn't much in the way of chaos, which is mm-hmm. a good thing, but it also hurt in terms of more yellows would have bred more, t- more drivers on lead lap, more entertaining restart, stuff like that. We just didn't have that. Uh, so I averaged out the ratings to make this easier for us. Race one, 6.16 uh, from our responses. Race two, 5.75. I would have guessed the Man. opposite, right? Yeah. I would have guessed the opposite. I, I was very surprised. So that was a, a look at rate the race for Iowa and in uh, what what people had to say about it. Um, other notes to get to um, this from poet Shevchenko on the possibilities for races changing on the schedule. Uh, I've only positive takeaways from this article, finishing the season in a vibrant, energetic venue. Check moving the track to the heart of the action downtown. Check using Laguna Seca to help plug the March gap. Check starting the IndyCar season with all three track types. Check. It's a great point. Yes, it is a good point. Um, that's, that's good stuff there from him, uh, elsewhere on mailbag is we got a, a lot we can dive into. So this from Chris in the six Wickens was with Aaron McLaren this past weekend at Toronto. Uh, someone posted a, a, a picture of him with the, the team wearing the Aaron McLaren jacket. So that confirms our question from last week on the podcast. Just, it's, just puzzled why that ride that McLaren said would always be there is now no longer there. Yes. Uh, this from R. Cole. Love the IndyCar talk as always. Uh, responding to last week's episode uh, post. Grateful to learn that my Peacock account is going up $1. Probably shouldn't ignore those emails. Yeah, I, I got the email, <laughs> so I'm aware it's it's unfortunate, but it, I guess to me, I don't look at it as a huge, huge deal. No, but I am counting that down the days to where I can get rid of Peacock, and that'll be at the end of the IndyCar season. True. I know there's college football and stuff. I, I Peacock doesn't give me the value. There, there's that. There's a couple exclusive college football games that I'm like, eh, this is maybe worth keeping. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, but I think that's in September, so it won't matter. Yeah, there you go. That, that's the that's the part that makes it a pass. Um, elsewhere, people complaining. I, I don't understand uh, people <laughs> complaining about the sweets and, and you know, no one cares about the race. Who cares? I mean, you tweet. Are they paying? Yes. Uh, a few responses. If Pocono were profitable for everyone involved, IndyCar would still be racing there. True. I probably, but the the crowd was on the uptick there and they left. I think the primary reason why they left has a lot to do with Robbie Wickens and Justin Wilson. I think it had to do with, well, they had the second NASCAR day and then once they lost that, they panicked, as people pointed out, and tried to get it back. Daniel SEM 2004, hy is paying for everything. They won't be doing that much longer. Who knows, right? I don't know. Seems I don't know. pretty profitable for high uh, Jeff Zerneski said, do the people complain about the concerts in Iowa complain about the snake pit? Yeah, as, as we said earlier, that's, yeah. it's Great true. Point. It, it, it's reality and it shouldn't matter. Someone else, uh, Daniel SCM 2004, uh, he was very defensive about all this. Pocono was profitable. The problem is Pocono didn't want IndyCar back. 
after the negative press they got until they found out they were losing their NASCAR race weekend. Although they were losing one of two because they still have NASCAR. They just have one race instead of two. And they had a very successful weekend last weekend. There was a lot of people at that Pocono race. It almost shows you, though, that leaving people wanting more, you know, is that perhaps a key? Like NASCAR at Pocono. They struggle with two dates. They go down to one, and as long as Mother Nature, (laughs) which always seemed to play a role with their NASCAR race weekends, isn't a factor, uh, it's... I wouldn't be surprised within five years that IndyCar finds its way back to Pocono. I I mean, you got to improve your East Coast footprint, right? It's 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 an obvious problem. It's a I mean, you can fix the gaps on the schedule. I think it's a pretty solid track for the racing. Um, and and Pocono is still one of those few racetracks that's independent and has to has to find ways to uh, to be profitable. It's just not one line item for for a series of tracks or NASCAR run tracks. So I could see IndyCar returning. I posted this poll. Should race control have thrown a red flag following Ryan Hunter Ray's late race contact in Sunday's high V one step two fifty. Sixty three percent of you said no. Thirty seven percent said yes. I was actually surprised at this. Um, Mike underscore Joachim uh, underscore saying the drivers meaning discuss what they would do in this scenario, which, yeah, I mean, it, it's true. I think, though, it's it's a fact where, you know, why different rules for, for different races? Uh, Jeremy from HBG. Very minor accidents, so not a lot of cleanup required, plus reordering the field on a short track could take many laps. Vicky Lynn, 26. No, there's no one stopped on track. Nothing to clean up. No red flag needed. Kyle Conley, 59. Races can end under yellow. This new trend of everything must end under green is a trend I hate. I mean, they're doing that for entertainment, right? Kirk underscore Fleener. In my humble opinion, if track can't be cleaned up with enough time, then finish should commence under yellow. Don't know that any car needs to get into one lap shootouts. Just be consistent throughout the season. Um, and another I think note, consistency is the big thing. I think yeah. consistency, whether you are doing it or not doing it, at least there'd be consistency. But there's we not. just we don't know what they're going to do. I think that's yeah. the biggest problem. Um, other replies here. The red flag fest at Indy, this from run underscore mark underscore run, was a bit of a joke this year. Hoping they learned something from that. Uh, Vin Designs 2013. I don't know if it's different to be honest. And he was on a restart or it was a complete cluster bleep. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to go red to avoid confusion. Yesterday was fine. It went back to green. Should they have opened the pits? I don't know. Maybe slow the pace car down so quick yellows are simply quick. I mean, they have a pace car speed. Like you, I don't feel like yeah, you can you change can't be that. Trickling in, around there. Vaney said, I, I get the feeling the evolution of these calls is directly related to the reaction we see. People are up in arms about the red flags at the Indy 500s. Let's see what can be done that is less controversial. Mm. Let's tell them after we have to do it. Maybe. I, I don't know. They just went to the rule book. The abandonment of procedure was the rule. And that's what they did. Uh, Thompson 419 said, honestly, it looks fairly ridiculous to have two sets of rules for these situations. I guess that's my biggest issue. I, I agree there. Just be consistent and, and let us know. Well, they're being consistent. They're consistently inconsistent. <laughs> Racer boy. Uh, 1969 abandonment of procedures do what the bleep ever (laughs) (laughs) thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Chad underscore 15. It should be the same set of rules from round one to 17. The rules are going to change like that. Then Indy shouldn't be a points race at this point. And and a lot of people agreeing with that. Like it's just, it is what it is. And I just hope we get consistency on that. Elsewhere, other notes on schedule speculation. Um, as the road course out, Milwaukee in, Gateway, doubleheader. Uh, people's thoughts. Big D cart, there will be fewer fans at Milwaukee than at Indy GP2. Everybody's, maybe? I don't know. May, maybe. I mean, the, the first time around, if everybody everyone was clamoring for Milwaukee. says they want Milwaukee buys a ticket, I disagree. Well, but that was the, fir- the first time around when Andretti brought it back as what, Indy Fest or whatever? Mm-hmm. If everybody went and went to Indy Fest that said they were going to go back to Milwaukee, then the race would still be on the schedule. Uh, Pilot Shevchenko, I love it. Gateway works better in the cool of night. I think the fans up in the grand scenes probably appreciate that too. You know, going night race, day race. Uh, Bill Hessa, Gateway, two thumbs up. Although my wife watched Sunday's race and immediately asked why our home race doesn't book comparable acts. She could care less about the racing. <laughs> uh, Concerts are a selling buying, point. As long as she's going, she buying a ticket? Cool. Kyle Conley, 59. Milwaukee, yes. Gateway doubleheader, no. Gateway is easily the worst oval on the year. And in worst race of the year contention. I don't know about Man. that. I haven't heard that take before. I haven't either. But hey, to each his own. Uh, racing is my life said yes. More ovals. 
Hickey 93 said, love it. And Jim Saro said, I love the miles coming back. I also think expectations on the concerts need to be set. A big difference in what Iowa does and what Nashville or Detroit do. The mile doing what those two do will we'll get it bulldoze. Iowa works because the concert schedule is top tier. Yeah. That's the problem is you can't, not everybody you can't can bring in Carrie again. Underwood and Ed Sheeran and Keddie Chesney. I mean, that's, that's not working. It's, You're getting four at, at worst for any of those. It's like a B-list act, but, oh, no, they're but all I'd A-list, say they're all yeah. a, A-listers. They're all personally. A-list, yes. So that that's really big, and we'll see what happens. Let's see if we have any other mailbag related notes uh yeah i mean people talking about the the nashville race moving uh vicky lane 26 as long as the new layout will allow better actual racing not so much crashing don't like the idea of a championship being decided by attrition eh, i do I, I, I mean it's survival right <laughs> i would rather have that than, than laguna a parade Seca. yes and yeah. a parade uh, around laguna Seca. Poet shevchenko said all this indycar related positivity recently is quite disconcerting Something's going to happen, right? And and Hickey 93 said, where's the other shoe? Yeah, for real. Mm -hmm. Where is the other shoe? It will drop at some point. It feels like we're so close to that. All right. That wraps up the mailbag for this week. News and notes. And time to get to a a few other things. Who goes Hollinger Racing? We talked a lot about them. Pay.com is their new primary sponsor. So they debuted multi-year deal for them. Uh, Ricardo Junco says expect other sponsorship announcements in the coming weeks for the team. So congrats to them. That's really big for them and to getting a, a primary sponsor on not one, but both cars huge gives them a significant cushion in terms of investment and what they can do. That's huge for Junco's Hollinger as they continue to grow. Uh, that was a big thing. We've seen uh, empty side pods or at least Junco's Hollinger on the side of the side pods this week or this, this year, the fact that that's going away for next year is is encouraging. And we had heard, what, last week at this time about what they needed to happen to ensure uh, Augustine Canapino coming back next year. I think this this, this seals it for I, sure. I would agree. I, I thought the same thing when they announced this. A couple of notes in Indy Lights, some, some driver lineup changes. Abel Motorsports making some moves. And I, I'm going to apologize in advance for butchering this name, but... Yuvin Sundara Murthy will drive the number 57 Able Motorsports car at Nashville, Portland, and Laguna Seca. Then also they announced another driver. And let's see, it looks looks like I apparently <laughs> deleted out of that one, but the other driver will be a part of the team. Francesco Pizzi will drive at those three races. Uh, he'll drive Nashville, IMS, and Laguna Seca. Now, so. I know those are added entries because Able Motorsports has only just been a single mm-hmm. car with, entry with this year with Jacob Abel. Yeah, so Able Motorsports may be eyeing some expansion for next season and giving some some guys some shots from the ladder, too, which is pretty cool. So that's a positive there. Elsewhere on news and notes items, not not a whole lot to get to just because we, we got to pretty much everything in fact that is it so tweets of the week time first off uh well before that steve wittich had a mild heart attack late last week so i wish him best of luck in his recovery and then tweets of the week tony dezeno most miserable podium interviews ever that's this was after saturday's race new garden was like mad to win he was so upset with lap cars i yeah didn't understand and then ims museum tweeted the museum wants to know What's your all-time favorite pass at Indy? It's a picture of Mears and Michael Andretti. And Marco Andretti tweeted, I know my least favorite. (laughs) With a A crying laughing emoji and a face bomb. I thought that was hysterical. Awesome. (laughs) Which Marco back in action with SRX along with Joseph Newgarden tonight. Yeah, tonight. As they continue their series. Is Elio too? too? Elio and and I think TK as well. Cool. Um, All right. Random split air drive of the week time. We're going the fertile ground of the mid-2000s. That is the Champ Car World Series 2005 going with Homero Richards. Who? A Mexican race car driver from Mexico City. I will give you one guess on which which race he competed in in 2005. He's uh, from Mexico City. Mexico City. He raced in the Mexico City street course race in 2005. Um, he finished 16th in that event. He was one and done. Drove for CTE HVM Racing. Uh, that season in just one race. He had won 
The Pan Am GP series in 2004 and 2005, the, which was the Latin America Formula Renault Championship. And he was one and done in Champ Car. That one start in 2005 at Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. Isn't that fun it. to say, by the it way? It absolutely is. Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. We'll say it again and again here. He actually switched the year after to stock cars, drove in the NASCAR Corona Series, and uh, was heavy in Nextel in though that series over the course of seven or eight years also raced in the Escuderia Grupo TOP in the NASCAR Peak Mexico series in which uh, you were, uh, you have the video game too for the NASCAR <laughs> Peak Mexico seri- series. But um, Omero Richards get that spot start at one more time, the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez race course in 2005. That was it for his champ car career. This week's random split era driver of the week, Mr. Homero Richards. Once again, a driver I've never heard of. No surprise. Oh, it's cart is a who's who of no names. Especially once you get after like 2002 or 2003. Yes. When it's the champ car era. Yes. Uh, IRL makes it difficult when you get into that era because even the no names, you know, but nobody knows these guys in cart. Correct. And champ car rather all right well that wraps it up for this week we'll be back next week i'm sure there will be some more news and rumors to drop for justin kinney i'm caleb hatch this has been new track record podcast podcasts by federated media